0: You this morning. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I went to the cinema and saw a film with a friend of mine, Sally, and it was called One Life. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I think you guys saw it, didn't you? Oh my gosh. If you've not seen it, I was okay to a certain point and then I boiled my eyes out. (laughs) You have to take Kleenex with you because it's the true story. It's based on the true story of a gentleman called. Nicholas Winton, let me get uh, his name correct, Sir Nicholas Winton. Um, It's a brand new film, and it looks back on his efforts of rescuing um, children from Czechoslovakia just before the war broke out. Um, The film star is Anthony Hopkins, obviously a good Welshman, uh, and uh, obviously, you you know, no expense spared, only go for the best. And he uh, rescued, I think it's 669 Jewish children from German-occupied Czechoslovakia over a period of time. He was a 29-year-old London stockbroker, and this film is just so inspiring. And then when it gets to the end of the film, it shows some footage from just a number of years ago in 1988, where Nicholas Winton was then in his 70s, and he's invited on to the um, Esther Ranson programme called That's Life. And unknown to him, somebody had passed on some of his paperwork and information, and uh, in that crowd, there was loads of uh, these children who were now adults and older people themselves, uh, who were rescued by Nicholas Winton, and they fill the studio. And she says, "Is there anyone here that has been, whose life has been touched by Nicholas Winton? Anyone here grateful for him and all that he did?" And they just one by one stand. Oh my gosh! Then I was bawling, and my friend Sally was bawling um, in the cinema because one by one they just this auditorium, all these people stand who owe their life to this gentleman who rescued them. And it's such an inspiring story. And basically, the gist of it is, his one life impacted hundreds of others. Well, if you think about it, I was reading an article this week, impacted thousands of others because those children were rescued, grew up in this country as adults. Most of them would have perhaps married and had families of their own, Generations of people have been impacted by his courage, not just the 669, that's just the beginning of the story. That's just the beginning of the story. The generations since owe it to him for what he did. One life making a difference for so many And at the end of this showing in Helston Cinema, which isn't very big, if you ever want to go to the cinema, go to Helston. It's like being in somebody's front sitting room. It's absolutely gorgeous. At the end of the film, everyone in the cinema where we were started clapping. They started clapping. So Sally and I were crying our eyes out, clapping. The whole cinema started like a slow clap in an acknowledgement for this incredible man who actually was very humble and very down to earth, who didn't need any praise. He didn't do it for that. But he gave his life for others, and his life had great purpose. And at the end, we just sat there, fixed in our seats, and I turned to Sally and I said, what what are we doing with our lives? What, What am I doing, Sal? What am I doing with my life? in the light of that, and we just sat there for a moment, really challenged <clears throat> about are we living a life that makes a difference? Are we living a life that counts? Are we living a life that impacts people around us every single day? We sat in our seat for forever, just pondering, and I was sitting there saying to the Lord, I want to live a life Not a life of danger like that and a life, you know, not like him. But I want to live a life too that makes a difference in this world. And, you know, I guess this could be a New Year's message. We're still in January. At which point do we stop saying Happy New Year? I think we've stopped now, surely. We're nearly February. We're nearly February. But we're at the start of the year. And when I buy my new diary... And I start putting things in it. I say to the Lord, what will be in these pages? Where will I go? What will I say? Who will I be? What will I experience? The unknown pages of my diary as yet. And yet my prayer and my desire is to live a life that honors God, that serves him every day. Not to leave it to other people to do it. But can I live a life that makes a difference in this world? Can I live a life that glorifies God and praises him forever? Then closely after watching that film, my daughter Rebecca and I have been watching the very latest season of The Crown about the royal family. It's not easy to watch because you don't know how accurate it is. There's a lot of of things that you think, oh, that's uncomfortable to watch. But we watched it right through to the end, right through to William meeting Catherine Middleton in um, university in Scotland, and all of that. We watched Diana's funeral, and, and so it goes right through to, to, to you know uh, not so long ago. But there's a scene just after Charles and Camilla's wedding, where the Queen steps away quietly and goes back in, goes into St George's Chapel in the in Windsor Castle, and she goes into Windsor into the chapel on her own. Now, obviously, this is just poetic license. She's in St. George's Chapel, and she's looking around like this, on her own. And as she glances down, then she sees a coffin draped in the, the, you know, the the standard, you know, the, the royal flag. She sees a coffin, and it's obviously her own coffin. She she foresees that one day her coffin will be there. So she's an older person. And then as she looks down the length of St. George's Chapel, she sees her younger self when she was in her early 20s in green military uniform and, and dark hair. And her younger self, she glances at her younger self, and her younger self goes like this to her older self. You've got to watch it. I was crying my eyes out again. Her younger self acknowledges her older self and the life that she has lived. Because whether you're a royal family fan or not, the queen lived an exemplary life, and we believe a life of faith and trust in, in, in the Lord. We believe that, and there is evidence for that. And, and you listen to her, queen's, her speeches and you look at her life and you, you hear through the grapevine. And I've read a book recently called The Faith of Queen Elizabeth and it was really profound. And so her younger self acknowledges her older self. Now, what happened from that point until this point? What sort of a life did she lead? And then a lone bagpiper plays from up in the gallery a very moving piece of music. Then the queen, the older queen, just steps out of St. George's Chapel, the doors open, and she walks into the light, and then the doors close, and then the credits come up on the screen, and it it looks to me like her her younger self acknowledges her older self. It's her death and her passing into glory to go and be with the Lord. It looks like she's going into the light. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that is so profound. A lot of poetic license. But here is a life that was lived to the full and to the glory of God. So I'm really challenged by those two things. C.T. Studd, the famous missionary who um, worked with Hudson Taylor and was in China and India and and the founder of an organization called WEC. World Evangelistic uh, Crusade, very famous missionary man, he says these words, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And those two scenes from two fictional programs that I've seen recently challenged me about my life. What am I doing with my life? What will my days and months and my years ahead look like? What does my life count for? What is my life? The Bible says that our lives are just like a a vapor. They are just, um, they're like grass, aren't they? Here today and gone tomorrow. So for the meantime, while we have still got breath in our bones and life in our soul and blood pumping around our body, what am I going to do with this life that God has given to me? The psalmist says, in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. Uh, The New Living Translation says, teach us to realize the brevity or the shortness and the conciseness of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And the message version, I love this, it says, oh, teach us to live well. To teach, Teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. I like that, do you? It starts with, oh, it's like a cry from the heart. Oh, teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read it for us in a minute, but there's a verse that really has been on my mind this week. Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 says, Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And J.B. Phillips, a New Testament scholar, he translates that verse like this, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning and purpose of life. But as but as those who do. I like that. Live life then, with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. I'm gonna read Ephesians chapter five. It's got three it's, there's three occasions in this chapter where it talks about living and living really well, and what that looks like uh, in our walk with our Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm just going to read the first 20 verses. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. That's the first instance. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So the first uh, verse says, live a life of love. Secondly, we are encouraged to live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Earlier on, we've been encouraged, find out what pleases the Lord. And in this verse, verse 17, it says, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul here is encouraging us to live a different type of life. Live a different type of life. I remember um, a neighbor across the road from where we live many years ago now she um, I was going to church one Sunday night in Port Leaven, and she came out of her house with a little handbag on her shoulder a bit of lipstick on little coat on and it uh, came out just as I was crossing the road she came out and I said oh hi Karen are you going anywhere nice um, and she said well I thought I might go where you're going I said all right church hmm. all right And then she said this, I've been watching you, oh no, surely, surely not, not watching me yell at the kids, not watching me kick the cat, I haven't got a cat, but if I did I might have kicked it, I've been watching you, oh no, surely, and she says every Sunday I see you go to church in the morning and I see you go to church in the night, well, husband and four kids, harassed and stressed Often running late, yeah, you've seen it, you've seen it, Week up, I, I, I look out the window, she says, and I see you, and I said to my husband, one of these days I'm going to follow her down to church. I've watched you, she said, and I want what you've got. Whoa. She came to church that night, cried her eyes out, she came to the prayer meeting on the Thursday night and gave her heart to the Lord Jesus, just like that. And a little while later, her daughter, too, and they were both baptized, and they are still going on with the Lord. She lives in St. Ives now, and the daughter lives elsewhere. Daughter qualified as a nurse recently, the most gorgeous young lady, still loving the Lord. And the thing is, our lives are being watched. Our lives are like a book that is being read, whether we like it or not. Our lives count. Our lives count. Matter Another neighbour, let me tell you a story of something that happened this week. We've got other neighbours that my kitchen window looks out onto the, onto, the, onto our street. Everybody, because we were on a corner, we were a detached house on the corner. We were the last house to be built. So our house is sort of back to front. The lounge is there and the kitchen is in the front. But it's great when you're watching dishes because you can see everything that's happening in the street. Oh, it's bin day. Glenn, it's bin day. Woo! And you can see everything that's happening. Think, oh, he's driving a bit fast. Oh, you know, oh, oh she's had her baby. Oh, nice. And you see everything that's happening in the street. But there's neighbors just across there. And they just not quite, we've never been able to get to know them. Never been able to really talk to them or engage with them. they out of the car, straight into the house. And you never see them, hardly. And I've been waiting for an op- I thought, no, you're not going to get away with not not speaking to us. One of these days, I'm going to catch you and you will speak to me and I will be kind to you. You won't escape. And so this week, it was like, yes, result. I was going to work really early one morning, quarter to seven it was, one morning. I had my de-icer in the back seat of my car, my own de-icer that nobody else can pinch, in my car. And I had de-iced my feeling smug with myself, my own de-icer that I'm not sharing, and it's in my car. And as I pulled out of my driveway and turned left, I saw this neighbour who wouldn't really speak much. She did her windscreen wipers, because nothing happened. And she st- And then I saw she was on the phone. I thought, I bet your phone and your husband to say, have we got any de What do I do now? I bet she was. So I pulled up alongside her and I wound the window down and I got out of the car and I said, shall I do your windows for you? I said, I've got some in that I said, um, she said, oh, I'm just on the phone to my husband. She said, because I don't know where our de-icer is. What do I do now? I'm going to be running late. I said, I had a feeling that might have been an emergency call. And she smiled. She gets out of the car. I did all of her windows. Oh, thank you so much, she said. That is so kind. I don't know what I would have done. I said, it's absolutely fine. I said, I keep this in the back of my car. She said, Good idea, I'm going to do the same. And and off I went to work thinking, Lord, I've waited five years for that. I've had an interaction with that person. I have been kind at quarter to seven in the morning. I have shown love. I've been neighborly. I have made a difference to her day. Thank you, Lord, because I've prayed for that. And that is what it means to live a life that is different. I know Anyone can do that. There's nothing clever about that. But Lord, how can I live on a bog standard Tuesday morning, a life that gives glory to you, a life that is different, a life of love, a life of sacrifice, a life of obedience? What will it look like for me? And so three things came to my mind this week. God wants us to live with salt and light. God wants us to live with righteousness and justice. And God wants us to live with mercy and grace. And if we can somehow bolt all of those components into our daily life, we won't go far wrong, you know. If we can live like salt and light, just like Jesus says, he says, don't put your light underneath a bushel. Let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Good works are not so that we can earn brownie points and get to heaven. That doesn't work. Good works are because we are good people, because we have put our, good, our trust in a good heavenly father, as we've sung this morning. He does good, and he wants us to do good. It's simple as that. He is kind. He wants me to be kind. That is all. What does it mean to live a life that is salt and light? Paul says in this chapter, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We've not just seen the light. Oh, I've seen the light. 43 years ago on Thursday, I saw the light. I was 12. I was 12 years old. Yes, and 55. I know I don't look it. I was 12 years old. And in a Sunday school class with my sister, who was nine, we surrendered our lives to Jesus. And I have never looked back, had wobbles, but I have never looked back that Jesus is my savior. And he has kept his hand on me when I have wobbled and failed and fallen flat on my face. And he's picked me up time. 43 years, 43 years ago, I could say I've seen the light. It is not enough just to see the light. And it's not enough just to walk in the light. Jesus says, you are the light. He says, I am the light of the world and you are a light in a dark place. Me? Yes. I'm light. I reflect and radiate the light of the one who says, I'm the light of the world. For you were once darkness, but now you are light let your light so shine i love that every word in the bible nothing is wasted it doesn't say let your light shi- let your light shine before men it says let your light so shine so two little letters but they got such a depth to them depends how long you want to string that out for let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works glorify your father in heaven be light in somebody else's darkness that's what it means to live a life for God can we this week be a light in somebody else's darkness you think well I don't go out much doesn't matter you can pick up the phone you could write a letter in writing a letter you can be light in somebody else's darkness Can we be light and can we be salt? Being salt, I confess, I do add salt to my cooking. My mother did and my grandmother did and I ain't going to change my ways anytime soon. Because a bit of salt enhances the flavor of the food, I think, personally. It's just my personal opinion. A little bit of salt brings out the goodness the good the good taste of the vegetables that my husband has grown in his lovely garden it enriches it it enhances it may my life enrich and enhance circumstances that i find myself in may our lives when you step into a situation may somebody say of you i am so glad that you are here in this moment you being here helps You being here makes a difference. You being here enhances this situation. That's what it means to be salt. Salt also preserves. Salt also cleanses. I remember when I worked in BP Chemicals in South Wales years ago. I worked in a drawing office. I I worked in engineering drawing for a number of years. And I worked in a male-dominated environment. There was 21 men in my office, all with their drawing boards, and we had computers, just the start of computers, and AutoCAD, and all that stuff, if you know anything about engineering and design. 21 men and me. And I was about um, about 20 years old. And uh, I had a swear box. And every time they said an expletive, they had to put money in my box, and then we gave it away to charity. Because is it possible that when you're in an environment, you can cleanse it in some way? Say, ah, in the box. Oh, sorry. They used to call me Sally. When I first started there, they said, oh, can we call you Sally? That's an abbreviation of Sarah. I said, no, don't call me Sally, because at home I've got a dog called Sally. Oh, Sally it is then. So for three and a half years, I was Sally. And when they swore, they said, oh, sorry, Sally. Oh, hang on. Let me put some change in the box. And... Somehow, was it that you bring cleansing to an environment? I don't know. Because salt sterilizes and salt salt cleanses and salt heals and salt soothes. Salt also, as we've seen this week where we've had ice and a little smattering of snow, salt also stops slipping, doesn't it? We put salt... Down on the road, are you the sort of person, is your life the sort of person, are you doing your salt and light thing to stop somebody else from slipping? Is that what it means to live a life of salt and light? Secondly, is God calling us this year and in the days that we have ahead of us, if we want to live this wonderful life, are we living with righteousness and justice? (coughs) Do you ever not know quite what to do next? If you watch another film called Frozen, which is a children's film, um, I think it's a scene with Olaf in it. And there's this question, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And they say in that scene, just do the next right thing. I like that. Just do the next right thing. You can't fix everything, you can't change everything, but you can say, right, here's the day that I've been given. What is the next right thing for me to do? Doing the right thing means that we don't do the wrong thing. Doing the right thing is that we maintain righteousness and integrity and dignity and justice. Do the next right thing, obey the laws of the land, honor those in authority, just do the, fill in your tax return before the 31st of January if you haven't already done it. And do it honestly. Do the next right thing. That's what it means to live a life that honors God. And lastly, live with mercy and grace. This week, Thursday it was, uh, I was driving along. Normally, I have my phone, my Bluetooth switched on, so I can take a call when I'm driving in the car. I'd been to meet a friend for lunch, and I hadn't switched the Bluetooth on. In fact, I switched my phone, you know, my phone was just in in my bag. And as I was coming nearer to Helston, I'm just about to stop for some diesel, my phone was ringing in my bag. And then by the time I stopped for diesel and had paid for that, I, I thought, I will just check my phone. And there was an answer phone message. And the answer phone message went like this. Oh, hi, Sarah. It's... I won't say the person's name. She doesn't live. She lives in Wales. I'll change her name for the purposes of this sermon which is being recorded. Let's say her name is Margaret. Oh, hi, Sarah. It's Margaret. Um, I don't know why you're not answering this call. You're probably gallivanting somewhere or other because you're never home. Prob- you could even be in Canada for all I know. Um, And then it says... The reason I'm phoning is today we took Sylvia, that's my dad's wife, we took Sylvia to visit your dad. And if you were interested, I can let you know how the visit went. And um, anyway, call me back. That's if you're not too busy. Uh, Speak soon. I tell you what, it absolutely pressed my buttons. It absolutely pressed my buttons so my flesh my, f- my flesh my flesh wanted to react like this Ugh. i am not always gallivanting i work as a hospital chaplain i just met a friend for lunch on my day off a friend who enriches my life aren't i allowed to switch my phone off and not answer it for one hour so in my flesh i was like oh that's so irritating I love you to bits, but you don't control my life. I'm grown-up now. I'm 55, almost. And so, I don't have to account for you where why I didn't answer my call. And I'm not in Canada. It's very expensive to go to Canada to visit our daughter. And anyway, it's a bit heart-wrenching. They haven't long gone back after having Christmas with us. Oof, just flippantly saying, oh, I bet you're in Canada. Oh, everything about that call, press my buttons. And if you're interested in hearing an update of your dad, only if... Then call me back. If I'm interested in in my dad, I'm passionate about the care of my dad and how poorly he is at the minute. And I live 270 miles away, and that aches my heart that I can't pop there. Everything about my flesh, like that. And then I gave myself a bit of a talking to. Now I can operate out of my flesh and call her back while I'm a bit cross. That's not a good plan. There's one thing I've learned from Glenn. Do not respond when you're still a bit cross. Sleep on it if necessary. Just don't bite while you're cross. I thought, Ugh. I wound my neck back in, and I said, "Lord, I'm sorry. That really pressed my buttons. Just press my buttons." And they kindly went to visit my dad today. I'm not gallivanting, and even if I was, that's that's I'm allowed. They were kind. They have been kind, and and she can be quite straight and her heart is like gold and for some reason that just irritated me lord i'm sorry so by the time i gave myself a bit of a talking to and then phoned her i said hi hi margaret sorry i was driving and my phone was off in my bag um sorry i didn't answer your call i'm not away by the way i'm home oh she said i thought you might have been away i said no 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 i'm home I said, "How was Dad?" Well, she said, "I thought you might like an update." I said, "Oh, thank you for taking Sylvia. That's really kind. I thought you might like an update." He was really cheerful. We got him singing, and so she gave me an update. By the time I had given myself a talking to, I operated with grace, not with crossness, because she irritated me. Because she's a lovely person, for some reason it just irritated me. I operated with grace only by the goodness of God, because sometimes my mouth will open before my brain is engaged. So what does it mean to operate with grace? It means to give that favor and that goodness and that blessing that might have been robbed if I had operated by my crossness and my irritation. The wrong thing would have come out of my mouth. Because I really do want to live a life of mercy and grace and I really do want to live a life of righteousness and justice and I really do want to live a life of being salt and light sometimes I need to just wind my neck in and shut my mouth and learn to operate out of grace see grace is giving what isn't deserved I think I think. you prayed this morning Lord you love me and I, I, I don't deserve it what have I done to deserve it Nothing, and so God gives to us what we don't deserve so that we can sometimes give to others what they don't deserve. That was quite a cheeky answer phone message. You you could, justifiably, just deserve Carol. That was pretty in your face. Her name, Margaret. But, (laughs) Margaret. And so, but if I operate in grace, I'm not wanting to hurt and offend somebody else. Not when their heart was right, and they were being kind, and they were just teasing, sometimes I don't like being teased. That's the bottom line. I don't like Glenn teasing me. I'm not familiar with that. Glenn grew up in a family where they they their humor is quite sarcastic. I didn't grow up in a family that was sarcastic, so i'm not, i sometimes I don't do well with it. That is my issue, not the person that called me. I don't like teasing too much. But I learned a lesson this week to shut my mouth, wait for the right time, and then operate with mercy and grace. Grace is giving what isn't deserved, and mercy is holding back, holding back on what might have come out. Mercy is the withholding of what could have come out. And in Psalm 23, we read those beautiful verses. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, I want goodness and mercy to follow me. Somebody once said, if Psalm 23 is about the the Lord being our shepherd, maybe goodness and mercy are like two sheepdogs that follow us, to just nip at our heel to keep us on, on, on the path. Sheepdogs called goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, helping me to live a life of integrity and holiness and righteousness and truth. Helping me to live the sort of life that Paul says here. Help me to live a life that pleases the Lord. Help me to live a life that is not unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity. I'm just going to close by reading the verses of a very well-known hymn. And, and basically, they, this hymn sums up for us what could be a prayer. If you were part of a Methodist church, at this time of year, they have a covenant service where they recommit themselves to, to God in, in, in service and in devotion to him. And if you read the covenant prayer, it's really, if you really say it like you mean it, it's quite hard hitting and, it, and it's a big commitment to God at the start of the year. Well, this might be our very own covenant prayer this morning here in Hope. Listen to these words and maybe just gently pray them in your own heart after each line. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always, only, for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou would choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee. Powerful, powerful words written probably 200 years ago. Take my hands, take my voice, take my feet, take my lips. Take my silver and my gold. Take my will, take my love. So that we can live a life that glorifies God. and shows people Jesus.